Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Tech Central. Hi there, this is Dusty Rhodes and welcome to Tech Radio with all the latest in tech from around Ireland and across the world. Remember, there are many ways of getting our show. You can download directly from our website at techcentral.ie. Use a smartphone podcast app, uh, iTunes, of course, or turn us on every Friday on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. This week for our last show of the year, we have an interview special for you with two young and exciting entrepreneurs who are going to set 2017 on fire. They're using the web in new, crazy ways to do things that were just impossible 10 years ago. First, let's chat with Mark Kirwan, who is the founder of Trawler.ie, who have taken online shopping to a whole new level by allowing you to buy a car from the comfort of your couch, have it delivered to your front door, and you still get a 14-day full money-back guarantee. Mark's quite an incredible guy. So I started by asking him to tell us about his background. Yeah, so I suppose I started studying maths in college straight after school. And then I actually left after two years to focus on my very first venture, which was my band Twisted Logic. Um, that didn't end up working out too well. So following on from that, I actually went to work for Carzone, Auto Trader, and Golden Pages as an account manager in a number of sales and marketing roles. And then while there, I did information systems in Trinity. And it was actually there that I set up my first startup dealer intelligence network. Um, unfortunately, that didn't work out too well, but I guess I learned a lot of mistakes from then. But out of that, I found a trawler, which is where we are now, um, managed to get some investment on it, and we're working on building a system that allows people to buy cars from the comfort of their home. Now, you're relatively young for somebody who's going out looking for funding, because you're mid-20s and you've, you've packed a lot in so far. What kind of reaction were you getting from, uh, from investors? Did they just kind of look at you and go, scram kit? Well, obviously they didn't, but what, what reaction did you get from investors? Um, I suppose it's a mixed reaction. From the tech side of things, a lot of people are interested in investing in younger people, mainly just because, like, I can give you a great example, buying a car from the comfort of your couch. You say that to anyone over the age of 40, they laugh at you. And I suppose being younger, you tend to be a bit more keyed in with what younger people are comfortable with. So I know for a fact all my friends would have no problem buying a car over the internet. Um, so it enables them to kind of get their finger on the pulse of it better and they seem to be more up for it. Um, now that's kind of balanced out by the experience side of things. Experience is always an issue um, when you're only 25, but I guess um, you can learn whatever you need to learn and once you show that you know the stuff, they don't really tend to care about age. Exactly. I, I, and, and, you know, the experience, can, it's, it, as I say, you, you, what are you, 24, 25, 26, around there? Yeah, um, 25. 25, all right. Uh, and, you know, you've, you've, you've started bands, you've done this, you've had several jobs, you've had failures, you've had successes, you've started your own company. You've, I mean, you've packed a lot in. <laughs> Yeah, but you're a brilliant example of, you know, kind of so many people sit back and they go, oh, I couldn't do that or I'm too young. Like you've just dived into life and you've grabbed it by both hands and said, right, I'm ready, I'm going for it. And it's worked out for you. And that's that's kind of the message I'm trying to get across. Tell me about the uh, the project, though, Trawler. Um, what, what exactly does it do? So Trawler is an easy way for used car retailers to sell their cars to consumers from forecourt to front door. And for consumers, what that means for them is they can purchase a used car from the comfort of their home. Mm. Um, for a good example for people, think of us like a Deliveroo, but for used cars. So by taking part um, in the technological side of launching an online dealership and taking care of the logistical side of things too, we let the used car retailers concentrate on just the presentation of their stock 
So on that point of view, when we started our mission of getting Irish consumers their dream car at their dream price from the comfort of their home, um, the obvious choice was the UK. So that's where we decided to start out. Um, the average savings on an imported UK car were around €6,000 when we started looking at it. And the exchange rate is already 90 pence to euro, so it keeps going up and up. So I guess the thing we're trying to tell consumers is that it doesn't matter where their cars come from, mm. whether it's the UK or Ireland, all they really need is the best car that they can get at the best price. And it's just to do that in the most accessible, convenient and price conscious way. Now, uh, what a lot of people do when they're shopping online is they'll go to a local store and they'll check out whatever the MacBook or the iPad or the Kettle or yeah. the, the Hoover or the whatever it is that they're, they're buying. And then they and then they go away and they order the damn thing off Amazon uh, <laughs> and have it brought in cheaper, which is very annoying. Like, But you can't do that with used cars. So so what kind of people are, you know, looking at something online and then and it's a very big purchase as well, because if it's a couple of grand, um, what kind of people do that? Yeah, well, it's the second biggest purchase of your life, um, and there's a lot of emotion tied to it. Um, I guess the thing that we're really hammering home to people and that this is really connecting with people under their 30s or people who have had a car that's one to three years old is, you know yourself, 10 years ago, cars were all very different. They had a personality. They had a unique feel that was needed when you test drive it. Hmm. Now, you look at modern cars, for example, um, so you have the Audi A3, the Volkswagen Jetta, the Volkswagen Passat, the Volkswagen Golf, and um, the Seat Ibiza. They're essentially all the exact same car. They have the same chassis. They have the same engine. Um, so what you're really looking for is more the look of the car. So the look and the features. And think of it like TVs, for example. 50 years ago, you'd rent a TV. You'd have to go and get the look and the feel of the TV. But now people are becoming more open to you know buying the TV on Amazon. So... Um, yeah. For, for the older generation, kind of, I suppose, like myself, I'm mid 40s, uh, I'd be kind of thinking, you know, I like the touchy feely and to be able to kick the tires and stuff like that. But that's, that's a hugely valid point that you make is that, you know, there is a consistency there with cars, especially over the last 10 years, where they're just, I mean, they're good and you can buy these things kind of reliably now. Uh, and as you say, it all depends. Well, I prefer that color. I prefer that model. It, 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 it makes absolute perfect sense to me. Um, how do the cars get delivered to the customers? So essentially, we have a network of contractors that work. They go check the car, bring them back, and bring them over to Ireland. Um, at the moment, we're working on bringing in um, warranty uh, breakdown server and breakdown breakdown recovery service and breakdown cover, essentially just to make it a totally safe online purchase. So essentially, you click buy, and then between two to five days later, the car arrives at your front door. Now, the brilliant thing about that at the moment is because it's technically a distance sale, mm. Um, under EU consumer law, consumers are actually entitled to a 14-day money-back guarantee. So that's not just used cars. That's everything, used cars, TVs, services, anything you buy online or over the phone, you still get a 14-day cooling-off period. So that exists as well alongside it, just to make it a little bit easier for consumers. Okay. Now, how is that going to change with Brexit? Or, or is this one of these things that's up in the air and we just don't know yet? Oh, I think Brexit is. Like, we've been looking at Brexit now for the last year, and it's a complicated situation. The way we see it is there's a two-sided situation that can occur. There's a full-on exit where there's no trade deals at all whatsoever, and then there's a soft exit. What we're really hoping for is a soft exit, mainly because the used car market for Ireland and the UK are so heavily intertwined, um, and that will always be a problem, Brexit or no Brexit. Mm. Uh, there's just not enough new cars sold in Ireland to support the used car market. 
Um, that's why we have to import over between 60 and 80,000 cars each year. And the main problem is, is that it's not like the European Union or the main continent where all the cars are homogenous. The UK is essentially the only place that we can deal with that supply issue. Yeah. So from the full on exit point of view, um, like there's a lot of EU laws, mainly on the 14 day money back guarantee and also VAT issues. But at the end of the day, people are still going to be bringing over used cars from the UK. Mm. So it's more about just building that process in and trying to come up with ways around it and come up with a strategy to fix that. And what's your kind of long term good feeling in, say, the next three to five years? Do you think the price of used cars is going to go up, maybe stay the same or maybe go down? Oh, it really depends what's going to happen. If there's yeah. full on no, crisis. but that's what I'm saying. What's, what's, what's your yeah. gut instinct? Um, my gut instinct is that there will be some sort of VAT or VRT um, tariffs put in place to make it easier for people to bring cars over from the UK because it's not just a price issue. Mm. If there's a full-on exit, the price of cars will go up. That is, There's no doubt about that, and they will go up dramatically, mm. um, mainly because of just the total undersupply. And I suppose you know yourself, new cars have been selling even worse for the last eight years than they were the eight years before that. Yeah. So that supply issue is only going to become worse and worse. And the biggest issue that we see for consumers, and that's mainly more of a government concern, is that the more expensive a used car fleet gets in a country, the less people upgrade their car and the older cars people have. And it essentially makes the road fleet more dangerous Mm. and can have a knock-on effect of higher traffic accidents, higher traffic fatalities. So it's very, very, very important that there is some sort of trade agreement there around used cars because it's such a closely intertwined market. Getting back to the tech end of things, right, with all the things yeah. that you said that uh, you did, uh, you, I don't, I didn't hear computer programmer in there. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm so, actually, how did you, yeah. how did you go about kind of, are you interface, this trawler interface with the used car uh, um, uh, dealers in the UK or do you have a, a, an office of people here kind of manually or some kind of a, a, a thing going on to sift through the information that you're getting in? So we actually have agreements with specific used car retailers and mm. you know yourself, they might have eight or nine websites to put their cars up to. So once they come on board with us as an official partner, mm-hmm. um, our software actually automatically takes their cars from their site and puts them on trawler and then also brings in any ancillary information alongside that as well. The HBI checks and um, we're working on video reviews of the cars at the moment as well. So it's all a technical back end so that the cars are fresh and up to date. So you have no issues of a car dealer putting a car up on cool. the website and then it being sold a week later. <laughs> we, we take it from the source. <laughs> you, don't, you don't need that at all. You don't need that at all. Listen, it sounds like an amazing project, Mark, and, uh, and I'm absolutely delighted that it's going so well for you. Um, one last question for you, because you've yeah. mentioned the, uh, the 14-day money-back guarantee a few times. How many times have you had to uh, give people their money back? Um, zero so far. People are very happy with their purchase. Um, it's such a large purchase, uh-huh. and people tend to have their mind made up by the time they make it. And the cars that we're selling at the moment are just of such a high quality Mm. that there really has been no issues whatsoever. People have been nothing but happy. And the 14 day money back guarantee is, it's more along the lines of a consumer side of things. So if something goes wrong with the car or if there's any issues and you want to bring the car back, but even then you spend 20,000 euros on something, 
you want to have your mind made up before you hit the button and you tend to see that most people have their mind fully made up absolutely absolutely well, listen yeah. I, I absolutely highly uh, recommend checking out the uh, the website for, uh, uh, initially for the crack and to see how he's, uh, Marcus put it all together and then who knows you might get yourself a bargain it's a trawler that's T-R-A-W-L-U-R dot com uh, Mark Kieran founder of the website thanks for talking to us thanks very much Dusty this is Tech Central your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie Here's a weird statistic for you. Right now in Ireland, one in eight people suffer from food poverty. Yet we throw a third of the food we buy in the bin. Crazy? Well, that's what Iselt Ward thinks. And along with her friend, they've set up Food Cloud, which uses online and phone apps to do something about it. Niall Kitson spoke to her recently. I'm speaking here today with Iselt Ward of Food Cloud. And... um, I guess it's a an interesting company in that it's a social enterprise that seeks to solve a very common problem. I know that as a Tesco shopper, there is a particular part of the store that gets absolutely raided at around five o'clock in the evening when the prices implode. Um, and uh, just tell us a little bit about the company, but also the context in which you're working, because we're looking at food wastage and you know, we know that it's a problem, but how big a problem is it? Food waste is a massive problem globally with over 30% of all food produced going to waste. That's 1.3 billion tonnes of food annually. We actually have enough food uh, going to waste to feed the world's hungry four times over. And there are one in seven people globally that don't actually have enough to eat. So that's um, where Food Cloud came from. We saw an opportunity to connect businesses within communities to local charities so that they could work together to solve the problems of food waste and food poverty. And that's why we developed our platform. So our platform enables um, these connections to be made um, very easily so that they can notify uh, local charities whenever food is available. Okay, so I'm a retailer and I've decided to take on your platform. How exactly does it work from beginning to end? I mean, does it, does it require a, a specially trained point of contact uh, on either side? Or, you know, how intuitive is the system? And from end to end, how does it work? So our aim is to make it as easy as possible. Um, stores can be very busy and also ca- uh, charities can too. So really our main aim is to make the whole process as easy as possible on both sides and to maximise the amount of food that can be donated from the store to the charity. So very simply, um, using our app or using the PDA scanner in store, um, they can uh, upload details of the food that's available and a notification goes out to a local charity. The charity simply texts back um, to accept the offer and then collects the food directly from the store. We also have a support team uh, who work to make sure that everything's going okay for both sides and anyone can get in touch at any time if um, there's any cancellations or if there are any problems at all. So really we're there just to make the entire process as simple and as smooth as possible and ensure that all of this good edible food um, is being redistributed to those who need it. It's interesting that you're using SMS over email or instant messaging. Uh, was that a conscious choice? 
Yes, so when we first started, we did some initial research and found that most people in charities were still, um, it was only about 50% of people using smartphones. So to ensure that everyone could use this, uh, we decided that SMS was the most commonly used method for um, kind of that instant communication uh, or notification. We do eventually want to move to smartphones, um, but I think we'll still be using SMS for a while. Um, hopefully, we'll get a few early adopters for our smartphone app that we're hoping um, to produce very soon. I think one of the interesting things about SMS is that people still associate it with a personal touch. I think the idea of text away for this has kind of kind of died. So, how do you actually recognise what what is a positive message and what is a negative message? Because some people will text back, I imagine, yes, no, or uh, which is fine, but I'm sure there are more problematic messages like I'm on my way, I'm running late or smiley face or something like that. Yeah, actually, when um, when we started, um, so basically they text back with a Y or an N. But we did find something quite uh, amusing when we started that people hate texting back just N or no because it's so negative. So they always want to text back, no, thank you, but definitely next time or no, thank you, but, you know, we're delighted to be involved and there's always kind of something else because people actually struggle with that. So um, our system isn't smart enough to kind of spot out where people generally mean Y or N, but then also um, if there's something that we're not quite sure of, uh, it'll pop up to our support team and they can either make the decision on what the charity meant or just give them a call to double check. But um, it's definitely one of our favourite notifications to get is to see the um, text message messages from the charities pop up on the screen. I imagine that you're, you're dying for the days of a radio button that you can just sort of go, yeah, yes, no, and then okay, and that will sort that out for you. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so in terms of getting uh, retail partners on board, I, I'm sure, you know, we all talk about companies starting from humble means. So as your own company journey, I imagine you weren't leaping into multinationals. So how did that journey begin? Who, who was the first person to go, actually, yeah, this is kind of useful? Yeah, so when we started, our first donation was actually from a farmer's market to a local charity. And we approached this farmer's market as the Honest Goodness Market in Glasnevin. And um, they operate every Wednesday and Saturday. And at the end of the day, even though they divide out a lot of the produce um, amongst the guys at the market, there still was always a little bit left. Um, so they were more than happy when we said that we'd like to set up a relationship with a local charity. And um, Don Bosco is a local charity and they every Wednesday and Saturday would pop up to the market and collect any food that was available. Um, so that was the very first, very simple uh, solution that we started with. And it was really the relationship that was created between the farmer's market and the charity that made this work. But to create um, this positive impact at scale, we knew that we'd need um, a way of facilitating this. Um, we couldn't possibly call every business and charity in the country and go and create these relationships. So that was when we realised that technology had huge potential in helping us facilitate these relationships at scale. And then being able to um, work with a retailer because they already have that huge footprint um, across the country. And also the consistent supply of fresh surplus food products so the products that really benefit charities fruit and vegetables bakery products um, meat fish poultry those kind of fresh raw ingredients that um, charities already use day to day um, so that was kind of how we evolved from the local farmers market um, to working with uh, national retailers like Tesco and Aldi. 
And uh, in terms of setting the bar, though, I mean, it's, it's not absolutely everything at the end of the day that gets donated. I mean, there, there is, you know, there are standards in place. Yeah, so all of the people in stores um, understand that the charity essentially is a customer. So you, we say, you know, what would you be happy to give this food to your own family um, or would you be happy to give this food to your customer? And that's where the judgment comes in. Obviously, there's food safety standards as well in place, but they're already followed in stores. Um, so it's more of kind of a judgment call at the end of the day that if they would be happy to serve this food um, to their own family or to a customer, would they donate it to a charity? And then also the, it, the option is given to the charity when they arrive as well, um, whether they want to accept the food or not. So it's all about the really the relationship that develops there and the store being able to work with the charity to make sure that both are benefiting as much as possible. And what was that a source of pushback initially that, you know, stores would go, well, there might be a liability issue here, um, specifically with very perishable food. You know, we, if something happens, we, we don't really want to be on the receiving end of a, uh, a civil suit on this. So was that a barrier to get across? That definitely was one of the initial barriers because there wasn't um, much um, of a culture of donating food in Ireland when we first started. People were just very, um, I suppose, nervous around the potential liability involved, but we were able to um, do some work with Aina Goodbody when we started and um, we have now got contracts in place that both the charities and the businesses can sign that limit liability. Um, so that did give enough confidence um, for the retailers to get on board and for more food business to get on board. But really, I think um, more and more people who work with food do not want to see it going to waste, um, especially when there are people that don't actually have enough to eat. Um, so I think that that drive really helped us overcome a lot of those initial barriers that we faced. Now, of course, uh, in Ireland, we, we are naturally very charitable, but we have an awful lot more charities than we have large multinational food retailers at the moment. So how does it work when it comes to nominating what charities retailers want to work with? Because I imagine it's it's not a one-to-one relationship, it's a one-to-many. Yeah, so we can connect a store with anywhere from one to seven charities. Um, and really, it's our team. The store can nominate charities if they know charities in the community already. And then we have our own team as well that recruits charities across the country. But actually, there's so much food out there that we're always looking for more charities to get involved. And definitely to anyone listening, if you know any charities, um, please spread the word. Um, because um, always when we bring on new businesses, we're always looking for new charities as well and when it comes to implementing the platform i mean when it comes to um, a company or individual stores they tend to look at these things as you know more work or perhaps a cost overhead and training or something like that so how do you sell the concept to a to a company i mean it's it's fine on a maybe a csr level but um when it comes to a logistical level how does that uh, you know have you encountered managers going you know this is this is extra stuff for me to do at the end of the day well, really, we try and minimise the impact on store processes. So when we started, the first thing we tried to do was understand the process that was already happening in store around, um, you know, when they take food away from being sold. Um, so that was the first thing we did was really focus on minimising the additional time necessary to donate the food. And then 
there is a huge benefit um, for the retailer as well. You know, they're minimising their impact on the environment. Um, there is uh, savings and waste disposal costs, and then also the connections that they get to that they can establish with the local community are incredibly powerful. Um, for the guys in the stores, you know, we've heard feedback from. Um, employees and stores saying it is their favourite part of the day um, and I can believe that because having someone come into your store every day and sharing food with them and knowing that that food is going directly into your local community to have a positive impact um, is incredibly powerful and very positive and we do hear amazing stories about the relationships that develop between the stories and the charities and even the additional things so um, people in the store is going to volunteer in their local charities um, so really I think there are huge benefits um, even beyond um, the you know, cost savings and the environmental impacts. So uh, as a company, of course, you can't stand still. You need to you need to be growing. Uh, I'm uh, when I first heard the pitch um, a couple of years ago now at this stage, um, it was uh, very much a Dublin centric operation. So how have you grown uh, beyond that base? Yeah, so we're now in, uh, across Ireland. Um, so we've um, 200 stores donating across Ireland to almost 300 charities and um, in January we launched with Tesco UK as well and we've been bringing on an average of 70 stores a month in the UK since um, so we've got over 700 stores at the moment and by the end of 2017 um, we're aiming to have over 3,000 stores donating through the platform so big growth plans for next year um, but it's really great to see the solution that we developed in Ireland now beginning to positively impact communities across the UK as well. And uh, in terms of um, staff then, tech companies are kind of notorious for being, you know, two guys in a room serving a million users or something like that. So uh, what sort of ratio of staff to uh, customers are we looking at the moment? We're out in the very pleasant environs of the Trinity Enterprise Centre. So um, I imagine there's big growth plans, but a small base at the moment. Um, yeah, so we're actually based out in um, Broomhill Business Park as well now and there's 12 of us on the food cloud team and then we also have three hubs uh, across Ireland now as well so we're all working together in the hub in Dublin um, and there's also a hub in Cork and Galway and that actually enables us to work with food from further down the food supply chain so taking much larger quantities um, from farm manufacturing distribution um, storing it in our own depots and then redistributing that to the uh, network of charities that we've been um, working with over the last few years. Um, So we now have established two services in Ireland and that's really enabling us to um, engage with a lot more um, of the food industry um, beyond just the retail and the store level um, surplus food. So is that is that almost sort of um, where your main growth plan is to get beyond the retailer to get through to the manufacturer to get through to dairies directly and go, okay, you've got a regular produce, but it's still perfectly fine just because it's not factory spec. Let us sort it out for you. 
Yeah, so we see huge potential for growth in Ireland there because a lot of food is going to waste further down the food supply chain and large quantities of very good quality food. Um, recently we had ice cream donated where the chocolate chips didn't disperse well enough so some had too many chocolate chips and some had none. Um, so very kind of funny things like that that you hear going wrong but like, you know, being able to give... Ch- chocolate chip ice cream out to a lot of charities is great um, and is a huge benefit to them so we see big growth plans um, for working with the rest of the food industry in Ireland and then in terms of the direct model where stores where charities collect directly from the stores we see huge potential to grow that um, in the UK and hopefully beyond and that was Niall Kitson speaking with Isil's Ward from Food Cloud. And you can check out their website at foodcloud.ie. That's it from Tech Radio for 2016. From Niall Kitson and myself, we hope you have a brilliant Christmas and every best wish to you in 2017. Remember, we'll be here for you throughout the year with hourly updates on the latest tech news, daily newsletters and more from techcentral.ie, as well as our weekly tech radio show online and every Friday at 6pm on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Until 2017, from myself, Dusty, thanks for listening. Take care. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.